The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Drivers, start your engines! Doesn't get much better than that, does it? The captain saying to fire things up because we are ready to go. Fabio Quattararo for the entirety of this 23-lap race. Another Mugello masterclass from this man. Fabio Quattararo wins in Italy. Jet Lawrence, two wins in a row. The series finale at this track last year, and Jet Lawrence wins the opener for 2021. Dylan Ferrandis has won his first ever Pro Motocross race on a 450. Ty Gibbs with a comfortable margin now as he races out and down the backstretch, out in front of the field. He's going to shock him today here in Charlotte. Checker quiet here, man. What a really good interval. Boy, proud of you, man. Really good job. Yeah, great job, guys. And it's with so much pleasure that I say, and you see, the soul is back at the speedway. The fans are back in the stands. This is, and always will be, the greatest spectacle in racing. There's a four-time win on the line for Elio Castro Nemez. Look at the crowd. They know history's on the line. Welcome to the four-time club, Elio Castro Nemez. That is awesome. Spider-Man is back at the speedway. It's a historic night for Kyle Larson as he wins the Coca-Cola 600. It is also history-making tonight for Hendrick Motorsports as they become the all-time winningest organization as they collect victory number 269, and it comes with Kyle Larson at the helm. Hi, everybody, and welcome to NASCAR America Motor Mouse. Marty Snyder, the mayor, Jeff Burton, Nate Ryan joining you today. And what an awesome Memorial Day weekend around the world, really, when you get down to it with all the terrific racing action we saw there and a lot of highlights. Of course, Elio Castroneves, you and I were in, in Indy. You were in Charlotte checking things out. Yeah. Uh, and joining us on the show today, we have Cliff Daniels off his big win with Kyle Larson from the Charlotte Motor Speedway this past weekend. Chris Busher will join us after another top 10 finish for his Roush Fenway racing team. And Garrison Gray, Gray Garrison, I should say, from Bowman Gray Stadium will join us to talk about what's happening there this weekend. Of course, we want to hear from you guys as well, 844-NASCAR-NBC. And, of course, also social media, the hashtag Let Me Say This. Uh, I want to start in Charlotte with a big win by Kyle Larson, and we'll have Cliff Daniels on in just a second. Are Cliff Daniels and Kyle Larson becoming the new Jeff and or the new Chad and Jimmy? I'll defer to this guy. You were in Charlotte. So. <laughs> like quickly, all of a sudden, I mean, yeah. what is it, four straight finishes of second or better? 
Listen, I I, uh, I know when the season started, we were on this show and we talked about guys we had to look out for, and you know we all said Kyle Larson. I mean, I just felt like Kyle Larson, uh, extremely hungry, something to prove, going to drive for Hendrick. Uh, it just seemed like to me it was going to work, and and he's they've been spot on. I mean, where did they run poorly? Yeah, and you can make a case there were a lot of other wins that got away from them. So. Uh, doesn't surprise, didn't surprise me a bit. I was surprised that some other people didn't run as well. But with what this team is doing and, and the momentum they have and running well everywhere, didn't come as a shock. I think for so long we've talked about Kyle Larson potentially being a future champion, a future superstar. And I knew he was going to be good at Hendrick, but I didn't think it would happen in season one. And I feel like you know, we're already there. We are already there. And speaking of already there, Cliff Daniels is already there on the line with us to join us here on NASCAR America Motor Mouse. How you doing, Cliff? Hey, you're doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, good to see you. So I, I want to talk about the win, but first I want to talk about the significance of 269, getting that record-breaking win for Mr. Hendrick, what that meant to you and Kyle to be able to pull that off. Yeah, it was a special day and a special win, of course. Uh, I think Mr. H was relieved that it happened because he knew uh, how well our company is performing right now, that we, we had the potential to do it. And, and, of course, you know, all the individual teams were certainly gunning to do it. Uh, but it's really cool, the energy that we have at Hendrick Motorsports right now. Everyone is working together so well across the board, um, you know, b- between the teams and the shops. Uh, the, the, the momentum, the energy we have right now is really cool. And I think that, you know, probably means as much to Mr. H right now uh, because the last four years, uh, things haven't been super bright for Hendrick Motorsports. And we've kind of had to scratch and claw and work. Uh, to, to get ourselves back in contention every week. Um, so to have three wins in a row for Hendrick Motorsports and then to get that uh, record-breaking win for him, uh, what a cool day. Yeah, so Cliff, I, I, you know, part of your success, and I want the fans to understand this, you know, you just had a dominating performance uh, Sunday night at Charlotte at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and you're still in your office. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's what makes good crew chiefs better right mm-hmm. is the work and the effort but clearly it's working for you guys why has it happened so quickly with you and Kyle I think naturally he came in um with the years under his belt of cup experience with everything that that kind of took place with his 2020 season um it let him go you know kind of pursue a, a passion that he had in dirt racing and kind of rejuvenate his drive uh, to come back to NASCAR, to earn his way back to NASCAR, um, and, and then go, you know, do all the right things, hit all the right marks to compete at a high level every week. So his mindset's in a great place. Um, obviously, his skills are razor sharp, and, you know, he proves that nightly uh, when he goes to, to race all over the country and certainly in the Cup Series. Um, and then our team, you know, we've been through a lot the last few seasons, um, certainly had some some ups and downs the last few seasons, you know, on the 48 with uh, with Jimmy, and, and that was kind of part of the process of Hendrick Motorsports getting itself built back to where we need to be. Um, and, and of course, I hate we didn't close out some of the you know good runs that we had going with with Jimmy. Um, so we kind of got seasoned along the way, and and we learned how to deal with adversity. Um, we learned how to you know have have a poor finish a week before something crazy happens, bad luck, and and put another fast car on the racetrack. So now, uh, through that kind of process, uh, we've we've learned how to kind of hone in on, on what we need to do to prepare fast race cars every week. Uh, very thankful to all the guys here at the shop. They do such a great job. All the folks at Hendrick Motorsports, 
Um, so, so I think there's a lot of different factors, you know, from Kyle's side and then from our side on the team that uh, the, the timing of this just worked out really well. Cliff, obviously, on, on one hand, things really couldn't go better. Through 15 races, I think you guys are the clear championship favorites. You got two victories. But on the other hand, Kyle was on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said that we probably could have four victories if things had fallen right. Uh, when you look back at, at 2021 so far, uh, four runner-up finishes – he had three in a row uh, coming into the 600 victory. Could have won the Daytona Road Course race. I, do, you, do you allow yourself to think at all like that if, if this wasn't the first year together, you guys might even have, I don't know, four or five <laughs> or six victories if you were? You know, it seems like there's a little bit of an acclimation process. Do you, do you allow yourself to think about what could have been? And, and is that some of that just circumstantial or execution? Or how do you look at all of that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And really what we've done, um, so Daytona Road Course, you know, we were the the – first running car that had the freshest tires at the end and um, spun out inside of Kurt Busch. So, so Kyle and I learned um, how to communicate to him who's pressuring him from behind, knowing how many laps are left so that he doesn't feel so pressured in that situation to force himself into a mistake. Um, led the most laps in Atlanta, got passed late in the race. Led the most laps at Kansas, got passed late in the race. Uh, had two speeding penalties at, at Phoenix and, uh, you know, came from the back and passed a lot of cars, got back up into the top five. Um, so, so the theme, and, and to answer your question, is every week after we've had, you know, a challenge that we faced where we didn't capitalize on the strong performance that we had, uh, we came back on Monday morning. We both looked in the mirror. There are certainly things that I needed to do better to help him uh, execute a race. There's things we could have done with the car. Uh, communication, all the little, you know, just uh, finesse and, and, and the uh, the nuance that goes into making our cars fast and executing a good race. I had to learn and improve. We had to work on a few things with, with the team, but for the most part, the team was strong. Um, and then Kyle, you know, wanted to understand how to communicate through things that he could do better. Uh, so we didn't waste any time in looking in the mirror and making sure we learned from the mistakes that are going to be inevitable with any new pairing um, of a driver and a crew chief, of a coach and a player, however you want to say it, in a competitive sport. Uh, so, you know, facing those challenges, learning from them, um, I think really set us up for what we saw, you know, at Charlotte the other night where thankfully we had a fast car. Kyle made a lot of, you know, well-timed moves on the track to, you know, have good pit entries and, and pass when he needed to. Uh, we did, you know, fortunately keep up with the car throughout the night. We had to make some adjustments at the end. And, uh, and things kind of came together where all those lessons that we learned, um, you know, came to pay off. And, and now I think hopefully that, that cadence and that rhythm of, of what we've been doing, we can continue, you know, for the season. Well, whatever those adjustments were at the end, they were right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that thing, that thing lit off, man. So, listen, I, I, for being a driver, my first year in Cup, everything happened really quickly, right? It's, it's You hear athletes talk about things slowing down for them as they – get more into their years what about you as a crew chief you're in your second full-time year obviously you started in 19 but your second full-time year how are things different for you today versus they were on your very first day being a crew chief they're they're quite a bit different and and i think that's you know for the better certainly there was a you know a maturing that i I had to experience as a a leader of this team versus just being a you know part of the team as an engineer for so many years uh, previously um, and, and so there's a maturing process that I had to take there. There's a lot of things just to learn along the way in, in the leadership role of being a cup crew chief. 
uh, that you just don't know till you get there. And, and I've been very grateful to have good mentors like Jeff Andrews, Chad Knaus, Alan Gustafson, guys that have really helped me along the way. Mr. H, of course, with, with always great perspective and advice uh, that, that every day, every race, um, you know, in my role, I, I try to, to learn and grow more. What can I do to help, you know, my guys on the team work better together, have the tools or the, uh, you know, the process that they need um, to stay passionate about what they do and to continue to put fast cars on track, what I can do to communicate better with Kyle. Um, Jimmy taught me a lot, you know, the last two years uh, about that relationship between a driver and a crew chief and, you know, how to kind of navigate when things are tough and when things are going well and, and keep feedback uh, healthy and, and, you know, timely. Um, so so it's, it's been a great journey and uh, certainly hope it continues for a long time. And, you know, my goal is just to be better, uh, you know, today than I was yesterday. And, uh, you know, I've had great people help me along the way. So, Cliff, as good as you guys look and as dominant as the team looks, where do you guys need to be better? So, overall, again, I, I brought up a couple examples where we've had some really fast cars and, and maybe late in the race things kind of slipped away from us. Um, you know, the, those experiences uh, we, we put together for sure at Charlotte, but there's a lot of tracks coming up that uh, are going to be unique. You know, we've got some unique road courses, uh, and, and, and I'm looking at my calendar here. We've got some, uh, some ovals that – uh, can help pertain, you know, somewhat to some playoff races, even though it may not be the same track. Um, so we've just got to be smart in how we approach closing out some of these races, make sure our communication stays, um, you know, where it needs to be throughout the race so that when we have good cars, we can make sure to capitalize and bring those results home, which again, fortunately, we've done the last few weeks. Um, and, and I think we can continue that. Uh, to bring up your point, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I think our weak link for a little while was just, uh, you know, getting through some of the early learning process and figuring out how to execute a race. Um, we're, we're in a better spot now, but it, it doesn't mean we can't be better. So we're going to keep building on it. Cliff, I don't know if you uh, saw what Kyle Busch had to say after the 600, but he was asked, you know, where is Joe Gibbs Racing stack up against Hendrick Motorsports? And he said, well, if Hendrick is a 10 right now, JGR is a 7. Uh, which that struck me as like, wow, like that's Kyle Busch saying that obviously he thinks Hendrick is in a really good spot. I mean, tying it back to having that historic victory at Charlotte and then hearing that somebody like Kyle Busch, two-time champion, thinks you guys are, are that far ahead of, of the competition right now. How do you think that's being received right now within Hendrick, and what does that do for the morale within the company? Yeah, morale in the company is, is very high right now. A lot of folks are uh, just excited and very thankful that we've had it. Um, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, there's going to be just a lot of talk about how well Hendrick is running. Uh, but we're three years away from Hendrick barely finishing top 10 every week. Right. And that, that's just an, an unfortunate fact. So we, we have many great folks that have put in a lot of, you know, really tough hours to try to build us back to being competitive every week. Uh, we all know that this sport goes in cycles. So to hear Kyle say that, I, I think is a big compliment to the company and to the work that's gone into getting us here. And uh, I'm not naive either, and, and I don't think for a second that the folks, um, you know, at, at Kyle's team and the other teams out there that, you know, think that they need to be better right now, um, they're putting in the time and the effort and the work to go to go beat us, just like we did for them for the last few years. Um, the Cup Series is, is a tough environment. Uh, it's a competitive environment. That's why we, we all love it so much and have so much passion. So um, as hard I know, somebody like Kyle, as hard as I know he's probably pushing his team to get better, um, if we don't push ourselves to get better, then, then those guys are going to catch up to us and maybe pass us. So we've got to we've got to keep our foot on the gas. 
Well, Cliff, NASCARL has called in, has a question for you. NASCARL, go ahead. You're on with Cliff Daniels. All right. Hey, Cliff. Uh, good to hear from you. Great on the success. Um, it's kind of what Nate just talked about. With you guys being so successful and running successful now, do you feel that other teams like the Hamlins, the Harvicks that haven't won, that they might press a little bit more because, hey, we got so many races to playoffs. How much you've been on the other side of the coin, how much would a team or the other drivers, will they press because of your guys' success? Yeah, I think it's a valid question, and we've certainly been on the other side of that and not even that long ago. Um, guys like, you know, the, the 11, the 4, and, and those other, you know, cars that haven't won a race yet, the, the drivers are phenomenal, the teams are phenomenal, the crew chiefs are phenomenal. Um, I, I think they know not to overreact and, and I'm sure they're going to push themselves hard to, to try to get where they need to be. But the 11 has started this season strong all year, right? He still has a 75 point lead or whatever he has without a win. And, uh, and that's just remarkable. That shows the consistency that those guys have um, the four, they've been running up front a lot. So uh, I, I think with the experience that those drivers, those teams, those crew chiefs have, you know, they know not to overreact and put themselves in a bad way, but, but I'm sure they're, they're pushing hard. Um, to, to try to get a win, and once you get the win, of course, things get a little more comfortable knowing that you're in the playoffs, and uh, and I'm sure they'll they'll find their groove um, really even more so than what they already have because, like I said, the 11, uh, they've been so so consistent and so strong all year long. Cliff, you mentioned the last four years before this was a struggle and for everyone in Hendrick Motorsports. So why has it clicked not only for, for you guys in the five camp this year, but for the whole organization? Why is it working this year? I think it's working this year. You know, timing is, is really important. And, and there's a couple uh, different things with our cars and, and engines and uh, bodies that we kind of got exposed over the last few years. NASCAR has been trying to get, you know, a lot more parity in the sport. And, and they've, uh, you know, they've done a good job at kind of reining everything in. The, the tech process is tighter than it's ever been. Um, and, and with exploiting, not exploiting, but exploring all of the areas that we possibly could, um, you know, over the last few years, we found deficiencies, like just flat out. We, we found areas that we were deficient, that we had to, to make some gains. So we had to attack those areas. And, and it takes time to test and, and verify, you know, race and make prototypes and do all these different things uh, to get yourself where you're in a comfortable spot uh, to have made up the, the areas that you were deficient and, and then to try to even go past that point. Um, to have an advantage. So I, I think the timing of it all coming together mixed with, you know, the the relationship that the crew chiefs uh, all have right now, the leadership that Chad has provided in his new role, Jeff Andrews continuing continuing to push the whole company, of course, Mr. H pushing the whole company, the, the timing of it all kind of coming together from so many different angles, uh, I, I really think explains what we see on track right now. It's not just like, oh, you know, we, we have a new body this year. We had a new body last year. That we had to learn and and there's you know quite a few things that we had to kind of chip away and and experience and test and validate and verify that you know we got in a comfortable spot with that and we had to make gains on the engine side and we had to make gains on the, the chassis and suspension side uh so again it, it's just the timing well cliff congratulations on all the success and uh we will see you at the racetrack very soon a couple of weeks as a matter of fact naturally you get to see all of us so <laughs> that's cool that'll be fun looking forward yeah, to it man. thanks for Good having seeing me. you yeah, man, Cliff night. Daniels hey, joining us here on Motor Mouse. And, uh, and to his point, I don't see a racetrack that knocks them off. I mean, I would have said in the past road courses for them, but 
I mean, you made the point. They almost won the Daytona road course. They finished second at Coda. I don't think road courses are going to knock him down. No. No, I mean, yeah, he could have won. Kyle Larson could have won Daytona if uh, he was ahead of Bell, who won that yeah. race. Uh, until that, that incident, he was ahead of him on the pit strategy. So, yeah, and finishing second at Austin, I mean, doesn't seem like he has any weaknesses right now. No, I, the, 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 you take a hungry person with a lot of talent yeah. and put him, like Cliff just said, put him in the right timing, right? Hendrick Motorsports, they're better than they were two years ago, no doubt about that. The Chevrolets, I think, are better than they were two years ago. You put all that together at the right time, and this is what you get. And sometimes, you know, a great driver is not driving the right car at the right time, and a great crew chief is not with the right driver at the right time. You know, mm-hmm. it happens. And in this case, Cliff is learning how to be – he's learned how to be a crew chief, still learning, has the right amount of experience in the right situation with the right driver. And sometimes you, you, that just falls into place. And when yeah. it does, it's when you're part of it, it's a great thing. If when I could create it, more Kyle Larson fantasy starts for my team, <laughs> I think that's really – Yeah, I got that problem. I'm ahead of Latar, though. He's only got two left. Uh, when we come back, speaking of good things happening to good people, Chris Busher will join us here on Motor Mouse off another top ten. There he is. He's in the sim. Is he going to drive for us? Can't wait. Busher, join us next. <laughs> he is a man's sim action going on. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, back to Motor Mouse. I want you guys to check something out. Most top ten finishes in the last three races on mile-and-a-half tracks. Mm. Look at Chris Busher. That's good company, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, William Byron, Austin Dillon. But Chris Busher doing a really nice job driving for Ralph. You know, it's interesting. I would have put Busher on this, that list. I would not have had Kevin Harvick on that no, list. No, definitely <laughs> that, That's yeah. the one that surprises yeah. me. Oh, Not Mr. Busher. High expectations, man. <laughs> so, Chris, another good day at Charlotte. Tell us about it. Yeah, I think um, 600 has turned into be a, a pretty good race for me through the years here. So, yeah, that was a really solid day for our fifth third bank Mustang. Um, you know, from the start, we, uh, we we started heading towards the front or, or closer to it and, um, you know, kind of took our penalty in qualifying like we – kind of figured we would and um you know kept up with adjustments through the night kept the race car clean and uh we ended up right side right inside the top 10 there when uh when we needed to at the end so obviously there was a, a bit of a discrepancy in speed from the top four or five cars to uh, to the rest of the field but it was definitely a, a step in a good direction for us so chris 15 races into the regular season, 11 races left before the playoffs. Right now you are on the cut line, but you're in the last provisional playoff spot. You're 55 points clear of Matt Benedetto right now in 16th place uh, in the point standings. 
How do you feel? I mean, can you feel comfortable at all? I mean, 55 points seems like a decent gap, but I'm sure you look at 11 races and think maybe you shouldn't even be looking at the standings at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, um, yeah, make no mistake, we're paying attention to it, but uh, we're still racing our own race right now and, and trying just to um, to go maximize our, our day. And ultimately, if you uh, you win every stage and win win the race, you'll make the make the most points, right? So uh, that's our, our goal. Um, most other years, I'd, I'd have probably said I felt pretty good right now and pretty safe, but uh, with uh, so many different winners this season and um, and with the opportunity for a handful more, um, you know, hopefully one of us being one of those, but um, and I think that we're inching up on that to where we will have an opportunity along the way, possibly at Sonoma. Um, you know, look at these road courses as a good opportunity, so I think that uh, we're we're in a good spot. Um, I don't think we're sitting here uh, counting our uh, counting our chickens before they hatch yet. We we got a little ways to go. You know, we looked at the mile and a half stats a moment ago, and that didn't have your Darlington race in there, which was another top ten as well. So it's not just been with one package. I mean, you've had success with the 750 package, the 550 package. So have you guys found something overall just at the intermediates that you've been able to make work? Yeah, we've um yes is the short answer. We we found some <laughs> speed overall everywhere, um, and that came really through the off season and uh, through just a really um, specific effort to to go to work in, in every department and, and get after it, whether that was simulation or downforce or or chassis build or, or whatever it was. Uh, we made improvements across the board, and, and it's shown up. Uh, and better finishes at, at every racetrack we've gone to other than just a, a very small handful over last year's results. So we, we've definitely made gains and we're better. Um, the mile and a half have picked up more than others. Uh, and I think the road courses have picked up a little bit more than others. So, you know, we think that um, we're in a good spot. Uh, we're not done yet. We still got more work to go. And, uh, you know, we'll all be greedy in that sense that till you're winning every race and leading every lap, you're not done. But there's been a definite gain in momentum and uh, really proud of that as we've been uh, been able to get through these first 15 races now. Um, we got to keep going and uh, and keep tweaking on it, but some of it has come from getting past the initial uh, uh, struggles of last season without practice and, and finding ourselves with a good baseline, a starting point for every week, something that's been able to carry over to a lot of different tracks um, and, and finding that baseline not only for our mile and a half, but for our road courses and for our short tracks, um, you know, our super speedway cars have always been really good. So we know we've got speed there. Uh, so it's all coming together in a, in a pretty good way here. So we're, we're pretty happy. We got, we got work yet, like I said, but, uh, but definitely progress. So Chris, I was at the 600 and was watching from the stands had a, had a really good seat up top and you guys on restarts are crazy. Like I, I <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't do that. Like I don't think our generation had to restart the way you guys do. And we have a, we have a lot of mile and a halfs coming up. Explain how intense it is and how important those restarts are. I, I didn't. Uh, I don't think it was was in me at first either. Uh, I think I was definitely in uh, more in the boat with you that I felt like you you kind of got through that initial fire off and then you sorted it out, but. Um, you've had to change that. You, you've had to get to the point where you're more aggressive. And uh, it's, um, I, I look back at restarts from the 600 and, and half of them went really good. And then two of them went really bad. So it's, it's a toss of us trying to figure out how to make it really good every time, whether that's, um, you know, diving to the top 
and um, and making it three wide and running up there and PJ one that nobody had run in yet uh, or wrapping the bottom and not leaving the white line down the straightaway. It was interesting to see way different lines work out. They are. They're, they're crazy. Everywhere we go right now, it, it feels like Michigan or Pocono. Um, it's it's all the time. It's three or four wide just as soon as you get past the start finish line. So very wild, um, surprisingly clean through all of that. I feel like we've, uh, for the most part, been able to get out of them without any uh, any major incidents. So that's um, a bit surprising to me for, for as wild as they've been from where I'm sitting. Well, maybe that changes this Sunday at Sonoma. Uh, two wide on a road course on a restart, always interesting. And you said something, Chris, just now that kind of caught my eye. You said that you think Sonoma is a good opportunity for you and your team. Uh, I, I didn't really think of you as a road course racer, but it sounds like you've, you've got some confidence there. Uh, is that something that, that's happened recently over the last few years? Is it this year because there are so many road courses on the schedule that you put more focus on it? What, what gives you that degree of faith going into Sonoma this Sunday? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not a road racer. I'll, I'll start with that, but um, it's not my background, but I enjoy them. And, uh, and we've run well at them through the years, um, really all the way back to, to Bandoleros and, and Legends cars. So um, I think just going into them with a, a pretty open mindset of uh, this could be a good opportunity to, to go win a race has, uh, has helped my, um, my, my first NASCAR win on the Xfinity Series side came uh, at a road course. Um, you know, we got a, got a, a road course win in ARCA Series and, and have run pretty competitively there on the, on the cup side as well. So um, I think our program's gotten better. For, for the road courses, we found some different stuff that, from a field standpoint, I like in the cars more than um, you know than what we started with. So I, I definitely feel like it's it's good opportunity for us to uh, to pull one off. I, I can't say that uh, I have any real reason to it other than I, I look at it as a as a pretty open opportunity and uh, look at it as just a, a bit of a change of pace and, and you know a way to go out there have some fun and uh, and have a good finish. Hey, Chris, I believe our buddy Marvin Blue has called in to chat with you. Marvin, I think, is on the line. Marvin, you, uh, you're on with Chris Busher. Go ahead, bud. How you doing, Chris? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. First of all, great job on that top 10 finish at uh, Charlotte uh, last Sunday. You drove the wheels off that thing. But we're heading into uh, Sonoma Raceway, and my question for you is, how fast of a car do you have for this weekend heading into uh Sonoma. What do you like more, sim racing or regular stock car racing? <laughs> um, I'll go with the second part first. So I'm definitely more in the real racing category, uh, and getting into uh, into our big heavy stock cars is uh, is what I enjoy the most. Um, with Sonoma, we don't know exactly what we have uh, with us not actually going to Sonoma last season. Um, not been in a Roush Cup car there yet, so. Uh, what I do have to base off of is uh, the Daytona road course. Uh, Coda with the rain is kind of a toss-up, right? I mean, we were uh, competitive in uh, in the rain, but um, we go towards uh, towards Sonoma. I think that it has a lot of similar characteristics of uh, of the Daytona road course, just on the the asphalt starting to really wear out tires, um, getting really low grip, a lot of really slow corner exits. Uh, but we obviously don't have the real high-speed banking corners, right? So there will be um, some some big differences, but also some some big similarities. So uh, with us only running the carousel once 
at this point. That is still a, a, not an unknown, but something that we're still trying to balance on how much emphasis do you put on that so that you can set up for, for turn seven, uh, the big breaking zone and the good passing opportunity there um, now that you have that one a, as well as 11. So um, I guess I don't have a good answer to your question on, on how fast we'll be, but I do have a lot of confidence that a lot of the stuff that we've learned from last season and then done over the off season will help us be very competitive this weekend. So, Chris, speaking of all that, how much sim time can you get to prepare for Sonoma this weekend? We see you sitting in the sim right now. Can you run the carousel? Can you really get a feel for the racetrack? Because you're right, didn't, weren't able to go there in 2020, so it's been a while since you've been there. And even when you were there, only ran the carousel for one year. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sitting here uh, trying to run the Chicago street course right now. Uh, <laughs> it's not going real well. Let, let's be very clear. Uh, staring at, at a hood that's that's killed right now because I bounced off of, of every wall. Um, ah. Fortunate... Uh, it's free to wreck them in the simulator. So I'll just read <laughs> another one. Um, on the Sonoma side, uh, we will be in sim. Uh, I'll actually be um, you know, over at Ford this week running a simulation over there, uh, getting laps in, trying to kind of refresh your memory. I think road courses, to me, are more useful than ovals on the simulation side. Um, hmm. Just starting to get some of your markers down. You know, kind of remember where some of the bumps are, where some of the wheel hop tendencies come from. Um, you know, trying to run more in the carousel, uh, being that we only had that one race. So uh, trying to figure that one out. And, and again, trying to figure out how much emphasis to put on it, because I felt like that was a weak spot for me um, when we did run it and ended up leaving me kind of vulnerable to uh, to getting passed into turn seven. So um, I think made a good compromise there. That'll help us in, uh, in that one and not hurt us too much in the other areas um, so that we can defend better, but also be more aggressive in the passing parts of it. So we'll run through some of that in sim uh, tomorrow and, and see what we can learn. Um, we will make a lot of laps and, and especially without practice, it's all we got, right? So uh, go back it in the fence there and, uh, <laughs> and learn from that, find, uh, find your limits. And then once we get to the track, we'll, uh, we'll keep our fast on Mustang nice and clean and uh, uh, until we, until we get to the burnout, right? That's good. <laughs> Not many mistake areas at, at uh, Sonoma. You don't want to get in trouble there. Chris, thank you for even joining us, buddy. Chicago, I... Even less, I promise. Uh, okay. <laughs> you said the racetrack's really wide in Chicago. Lots <laughs> yeah. of space, right? Uh, plenty of runoff. Plenty. Yep. Just <laughs> miss your corner, go to the next street. It, it works just like that. <laughs> just, just go around Buckingham Fountain. That's my one piece of advice. Just, yeah, yeah. If you just avoid the fountain. Don't go straight through right? yeah, Don't go through the fountain. Even what if you jump yet? over it? You haven't made it to that part of the track yet. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. Have fun tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you all. All right. Thanks for joining us. That's good stuff. I've seen them running well. It is. As a a group. It really is. You know, know, Roush, Jack Roush has such a history in this sport of being a winner. And, and, you know, he he has done a lot of great things as an owner. We just, over the last several years, they just have not had the speed. And it's, it's, uh, I know how much Jack believes in Chris. You know, he has a lot of belief in Chris, believes he can win races, and Jack's really hungry and wants, wants to get back consistently to the top. It's good to see them closer to it. They're, not, they're mm-hmm. still not where they want to be, but they can see it from where they are, and you couldn't make that case many times over the last couple of years. Yeah, and you make a great point, Jeff, that Roush brought Busher back 
uh, from JPG after he went there, you know, after winning the Xfinity Championship with Roush. And you know, I, I think if he can excel, if he can be, you know, the driver who gets to the playoffs this year, maybe puts them back in victory lane, I, I think that's a real endorsement of, of Roush leadership right now. Yeah, so you were at Indy. You, we both were at Indy. We both were at Indy. Yeah, you we guys, both at Indy. You witnessed an incredible celebration. It was awesome. Elio climbed the fence, did a Spider-Man thing. It seemed like it the whole... went on for an hour. Yeah, it was crazy. It was so cool. We come back, we're going to take another look at it and some other celebrations that have happened in the sport. Always fun to see some excitement. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's a four-time win on the line for Elio Castro Nemez. Look at the crowd. They know history's on the line. Welcome to the four-time club, Elio Castro Nemez. That is awesome. Spider-Man is back at the speedway. <laughs> Welcome back to NASCAR America Motormouths. This was the scene after the 105th Indy 500. Elio Castro Nemez becomes a four-time winner of the biggest race in the world, puts his name alongside Al Unser, Rick Mears, and A.J. Foyt, truly achieves legend status. And as good as the race was, Marty, the, the aftermath was even better. We were just joking that you were the first person to interview Elio Castro-Neves from the media, but you were not the first person to talk to Elio yeah, I, I after this you. victory. I said, you said you're the first person to interview him. I said, no, there were like 400 people that interviewed him <laughs> before they got to me. I love, I love every moment. The uh, cameraman on the far right there is my cameraman, Kevin. And I was like, I, I talked to our uh, pit producer, Trevor, and I'm like, should I go down there and get him? After like 20 minutes and the scene played out. And, you know, the answer was rightly no. Let, just let it play out. What an incredible scene. And, and it never gets old watching it. I, you know, and you're happy for everybody. You know, Mike Shank and Elio, obviously. But... The fans just soaked it in. That was the amazing thing to me. And I, I kept telling uh, the television truck, I'm like, nobody's leaving. Nobody's leaving. I mean, this was 30 minutes, 45 minutes afterwards. Even on his victory lap, nobody left. And it just was incredible. I mean, it, 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 it had the, the palpable sense. And I don't know if it had the same thing for you. And the, there he is hugging Jim Meyer in the, um, in the media center, Nate. But you just knew you were watching history. You knew you were. And the fans knew they were watching history. Yeah, and for me, what it reminded me the most of, Marty, was probably 2005 Brickyard 400 when Tony Stewart finally broke through yeah. and won Indianapolis Motor Speedway, his hometown track. And the same sense of history sort of took over at the end of that race. I think 
happened Sunday with when Elio was closing on the checkered flag. And Jeff, I'd love to get your perspective. You've raced at the Brickyard for years. And what Marty just said, I think, is really true. The fans appreciate racing at this speedway, I think, in a different way than a lot of other racetracks where you go to a lot of NASCAR tracks and I feel like you have your fan bases. They're cheering for different drivers. With Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I almost feel like the fan base cheers for the storylines or cheers mm. for the race itself. I agree. I, I, think, I think that that is such a big event that it's bigger than the drivers, right? It's bigger than a particular mm-hmm. driver. And I, and, and I think people go to that kind of like the Kentucky Derby almost. Yeah, right? oh, it's yeah. just a huge event. And they want to see a compelling event. They want to go experience it, hear it, smell it, be part of it before the race, after the race. And they got to experience history being made. And they got to watch someone who was in IndyCar, kind of got ushered out, comes back in and wins the biggest race, mm-hmm. right? And, and we know how emotional he is. And I think the fans, yeah. you know, even if you're not a fan, if you wouldn't go there to pull for him to win the race, <laughs> He's daughter. so genuine in his yeah. passion for the sport. Right. There's no, it's infectious. It just is, and that fan base is they're, they're there for the event. I yeah. just don't. I almost feel like 80 percent of them aren't there pulling for a particular driver. They're just going to a really, really fun event. This this scene was amazing to me. I mean, the man just ran a 500 mile race. <laughs> He's running fast enough to blow his hat off, and. So, you know, as I'm standing, I'm standing up to the right, uh, kind of where you were, Nate, but I was on, in the Victory Lane podium, and I just kept being amazed at his energy. And, and he told me Saturday night, he, he was actually my last driver interview, he said, I want to climb the fence. This was a great moment, his old teammates. Um, he said, I want to climb the fence, and I want the fans to climb with me. And he, he never got that. He sort of got that moment on the Victory Lap. This, the right. blessing <laughs> from the Father, I mean, that is a bigger moment than... I think that was an amazing moment. Uh, that meant a lot to Elio. He told me afterwards uh, that never made air, but he said that that moment with Mario meant a lot to him. But he got that moment when he was um, driving around in the victory lap, and the fans were climbing the fence. Yes, to be, I mean, were, some right, were on top right. of the catch fence. Really was a, just a, such a cool moment, and, and, it, and it, it could have lasted forever just to see that raw emotion. And the connection that Elio has with the fans, it's much like what Tony, I think it would have been very similar if Tony Kanaan had, had won the race. But I think Elio transcends IndyCar because of Dancing with the Stars, because of all the things that he's been in in his life. Mm-hmm. He really transcends the sport. And I think he was the perfect winner for that race. It was almost like you and I talked about it Sunday night or Monday morning or whenever. That was like America reopening. 135,000 fans. Yeah. They, you could feel the release from the fans as they were sitting there. They wanted a reason to celebrate, and that gave them a reason to celebrate even harder. You know, drivers like to say that Indianapolis Motor Speedway chooses its winners, that this is a track that chooses the winners of the Indy 500. And to me, Elio was the perfect winner for this race. 100%. To to have, you know, after everything that's happened over the last 15 months, and to have 135,000 people, probably a few more than 135,000 people if you were watching, um... To have them come to the Speedway and attend a sporting event for the first time in months, and they get to see history, and they get to see, as you said, Marty, this transcendent, hugely popular driver um, make history the, the only the fourth four-time winner of the biggest race in the world, 
And, you know, we talked about how Marty was like the 80th person who talked to him. He, we saw Simon Pagino there, his former yeah. teammate at Penske. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya gave him this huge bear hug. Will Power, his former teammate at Penske. There must have been at least a dozen drivers and former teammates of his that congratulated him. And, Jeff, that reminded me a lot of 98 Daytona 500. I mean, to me, it was just like the Dale Earnhardt receiving yeah. line. And Mr. Penske congratulated him. Like, mm-hmm. it, was, it was everybody. And, look, what you, from a driver's perspective, you just said Indy picks its winners. I think part of this emotion, too, was Elio Crastanevras won that race. Oh, yeah. Because he made the pass at the right time. Right. He made the, you Think about what happened in that whole thing. This was the event you this were talking about. I mean, everybody, Dale Earnhardt winning his first Daytona 500, could come close so many times. I mean, how many wins? It was crazy how many wins he had at Daytona in the 400 and the duels and the Xfinity mm-hmm. race. Couldn't find a way to win the 500. And the respect shown to him on this day is what you're talking about. Listen, the greatest compliment you can make get is the respect of your peers. That is the greatest compliment. And and that's what that's what this day was about. That's what Indy was about. But Castro Nevis, he made the pass at the right time. Think right. this thing through now. They caught lap traffic. When they caught lap traffic, it became impossible to make that pass. If Elio Castro Nevis doesn't make the pass the lap he makes it, right. he's in the position running second. <laughs> Arrow, the arrow push, the arrow problem gets worse. He doesn't make that pass. He made that pass when he had to make the pass. He put himself in a position where nobody else could make the pass. He made that decision. He made that happen. That did not happen by chance. Right. Well, that did not there, happen by chance. That's a four-time winner yeah, saying, right. this is my race, kids. And, and you guys we, talk about the young kids all you want, but guess what? <laughs> this is my race. I'm smarter than you, and this is how I'm going to win it. And that's what we watched at the end of that race. He said all month that the, us old guys have some tricks in the bag still. But I think what he saw, and it's a little inside baseball, but he saw what was happening in front of him when Alex Below had the lead right. and Felix Rosenquist pitted. And he thought, he just lost that draft, and I'm going to – and he, so he passed him on the front stretch right after all that kind of went down. And – and, and knew, had the wisdom to say, that's when I'm going to make that pass. But, Nate, to your point, it is very rare that a win is that popular with the fans and that popular amongst the garage or paddock. And that's what we had, 98, Daytona 500. We had it with Elio. We had it in the Tony Stewart win you mentioned as well at the Brickyard. That was the one where he kind of laid down on the yeah. front stretch wall yeah. and, 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 and exhaustion, but also in disbelief that he had finally done it. And uh, and him winning, here's that race, 2005. And this was during Tony Stewart's second championship season. And he had taken to climbing the fence after his victories during the season. Tony started doing it. There he is, doing it at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And and completely admitted, there he is lying down the wall after being just... uh, I think he said I was too tired to go all the way to the top of the fence. I yeah. think Elio made it all the way 16 feet up the fence. I don't right. think Tony quite right. got that high. But, I mean, Stewart openly admitted afterward, I, I stole that from Elio Castroneves. So it was kind of cool that it was all linked together. The, the other one I will compare it to, and, and Jeff, you'll remember this race, was uh, the first race back after 9-11. Mm. Dale Jr. won the race. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's, that environment is sort of what I felt right. Sunday. Yep. There was this, you could audibly hear over Junior doing donuts and everything, everyone chanting USA. I remember everyone chanting USA after this, after the national anthem. I mean, Jeff, you can describe that scene to us. There was that, that whole place, we were all in it together. And we were there doing the broadcast, but it was, you know, it was one unified group. I, I literally, I'm not exaggerating, I got chills when they showed that shot. And it mm. all came back to me. 
all the fans, you could feel the grandstands vibrating. That's crazy to say. There was so much. Mm. There were people banging on the grandstands, and it was like, we're America. We're right. back. And it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, to be in the infield and to feel all of that coming your way, it was crazy. And something that I'll always church, uh, treasure because we were together. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. We were together. Yeah. Just like you said, we were all together. A terrible thing brought us all together. And, and you, you could feel it. You could feel the patriotism. You could feel the, you could feel the anger. Yep. You could feel the, the patriotism. You could feel it all. And, and I mean, I listen. I'm not gonna lie. I I stood there and cried. I mean, I couldn't help it. I mean, it was just, it was just that kind of day. So yeah. that capsuled feeling, Nate. That's what I felt Sunday. Like yeah. it was a release of all the last 15 months. Right. That's what I felt from the fans. Yeah. Sunday. Well, for those 140,000 people at Dover, I think it was just as cathartic as it was Sunday at Indianapolis. The same feelings. Dover, it was. This country came out of a national tragedy together, and here was Dale Jr., most popular driver at the time, winning this race, and it was this catharsis. Same thing at Indy. Mm-hmm. Hugely popular driver, and Elio Castroneves makes history. People are out of their homes after being locked up for the past 15 months and back at a sporting event and enjoying it. Um, I think that same cathartic feeling you had at Indy there. Yeah, the other one was the July Daytona 2001 race when Jr. won that one. That one felt you know, the same with the fans going bananas and... That one felt special as well. I think, uh, um, to me, Jeff Gordon winning Martinsville, his last yes, win. Yes, yeah. 2015. The fan reaction after that race. Yeah. Now, Jeff Gordon's a guy, people, yeah. a lot of people booed, right? Yeah. And, and some people, you loved him or you hate him. He didn't sit on the fence. Same thing happened in Martinsville that night. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was night. Is <laughs> yeah. People yeah. didn't leave. Right. Like, they stood there and celebrated with Jeff right. Gordon. Look at, I mean, they celebrated yeah. with Jeff Gordon, and they came as close to the yes. fence and, as they could. And Gordon's reaction, not just the fan reaction, but right. Gordon's reaction was similar to Elio. I mean, yes, Jeff Gordon is an emotional guy at times, but we never saw that. You know, I'm going to Homestead, I'm going to Homestead, yes. I'm going to Homestead. Yeah. Like, he couldn't stop screaming and jumping around, and there's Marty interviewing him, and he wouldn't stop <laughs> like a pogo stick. And that was yeah. 10 or 15 minutes after. Oh, like, yeah. he, he, he stayed pumped up. Normally, you... You're excited, you're fired up, and then you kind of, okay, you know, but yeah. that I, didn't on that night. I've talked to Alan Gustafson about that moment, and, and he still says that is one of the greatest, you know, because you got to realize that was his next-to-last race or one of his last races of his career, and he put it in the championship four. I mean, that, that kind of encapsulates how good Jeff Gordon was, even to the end, you know. Now, he didn't have the best car that day by any means, but he put himself in position and he won the race. That's you what know? winners do. I, I know. Winners win when you're not supposed to. Yep. That's what winners do. Yep. I promise you, the best the, the best car is the easiest car to win in. But that's not the one that always wins. And you have to find a way. And Jeff Gordon, late in his career, found a way on that day. To, and, and by the way, early, in, early at Homestead, I'm like... He's going to win this race. I know, I know. I appreciate you taking us down the little memory lane walk yeah, there, Nate. Yeah, I enjoyed it. This was a good discussion, all about emotion, and so is Saturday night short track racing. When we come back, we're going to talk to somebody from Bowman Gray Stadium, one of the quintessential American short tracks. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. 
So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Busy track pass schedule this weekend. Check it out. There's a lot going on, Jeff. I mean, Atlanta, we've got uh, Sonoma, Berlin, Bowman Gray, VIR. A lot going on. Get your racing. Parking on track pass all weekend long. I cannot wait to see Bowman Gray races this year. Joining us on the phone now, and uh, actually, I believe he's FaceTiming in. There he is, Gray Garrison. What's going on, Gray? How you doing, man? Uh, we're doing well. Getting ready for race night. It's been a long time. We're kind of forgot what we're supposed to be doing you know (laughs) (laughs) and i do this and i do that all these type things but uh it's gonna all come together the weather's gonna give us a break and it's gonna be crazy that's awesome i I was gonna ask you about that because you guys took last year off for covid and now not only are you back but all your races will be on track pass so tell us about the new deal yeah we do we have several we're running a couple of races on track pass we're going to try to give it a try see how it works out uh we did a couple in the past they work real well. We had great response from the fans. So uh, since we're running such a short season this year, you know, we usually have 18 events this year. What's that show about? What are y'all talking? But it, uh, we're going to run 11 events planned this year. Uh, it's going to be crazy. A lot of pent-up excitement. Uh, it's going to be wild. So, Gray, for those that are watching today that have never been to Bowman Gray and don't understand, the place is sold out. It's packed. It's a crazy environment. Tell us about the racetrack and why do you have those crowds? It seems like every night you race. Well, it, it physically it's not supposed to work, and I think that's why it works. It's a football <laughs> field. Uh, we see 17,000 people around the football field, and as you know, we run the open-wheel modifieds, which are just little rocket ships. So you take those rocket ships, put them around the football field, and it's not supposed to work. The weight, the power, the flat track, uh, a lot of times the only way you can get around somebody is let them know you're behind them abruptly and uh, to kind of around. So it's 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 crazy. It's a lot of fun. Even if you're not a race fan, you can come to Bowman Gray and enjoy it because it's entertainment. That's what we really work for is entertainment. Great. I made my first trip to Bowman Gray with my wife uh, a couple of years ago in 2019, and I had a great time. It was pure entertainment. Loved it. I love Winston-Salem. Um, but if I were to go back this Saturday night, what would be different uh, for a fan going back to Bowman Gray post-COVID-19? Any, any procedures or protocols that have changed at the track? Uh, basically, one thing is we're doing a major construction project. We have that going on. We have new re- uh, some new restrooms uh, completed, some being built, new concession stands completed, some being built. So if you're up on the concourse, you'll know a little few changes as far as that goes. As far as the track, it's the same old track. It's the flat track. We have the Armco barrier around it. You know, the track was originally started by Alvin Hawkins, my grandfather, and Bill France. And uh, Mr. France visited us a few years ago, well, several years ago before he passed away. And he says, I think some of those posts I put out there are still there. So, (laughs) (laughs) and they may be, literally, they may be there. It's been that long. This is the 72 years of racing we're doing this year. And every year just gets better, more exciting, another generation. It just keeps getting better. Great, we don't have much time, but if I'm coming to the track this weekend, what's your go-to food in your concession stand? Every short track has one. What's yours? <laughs> we have the go-to food would be French fries with vinegar and salt. There, there you oh, go. Oh, there you go. I'm in. Appreciate that. Really? Great, yeah, best of luck this year. 
Good seeing you, you man. Come early if you're coming. Go to RollerGrayRacing.com. Find out all you need to know. Awesome. Appreciate it. Greg Harrison joining us here on Motor Mouse. I wonder what the over-under on fights this year is. Think it's <laughs> double digits or triple digits? Like for the whole I'm sure season. they want it to be triple digits, right? Well, I mean, for the whole season, it's you a mean, legitimate You mean question. with the drivers or the fans? <laughs> <laughs> that is a legitimate question. Uh, real quick, you guys got to pick for Sonoma this weekend. Oh, you you're going to me first. Yeah. Um, listen, go Chase Elliott. Okay. How, do you, how do you go to road course and not pick Chase Elliott? I'll take Kyle Larson, two in a row. Why not? Does Truex uh, find a way to victory lane? That's what I they, – they've got to get better. I was shocked they were not good at Out Dover or Charlotte yeah. after dominating really? Darlington. Like, where did that go? There's really the odds surprised. for the weekend. Uh, any good bets on there? Uh, look, I know it might not be bad. 1,800. That's pretty – Blaney. Blaney? Blaney at 2,200. Like, 2, Blaney's a good, he's a you really like good road good racer. Value. I like that one. Yeah. Steve had to explain to me the plus system, which I don't I don't really get. I still don't think I get it totally, but I, you know. Just give Steve it. your money. He'll, he'll no. take care of it. That's what I don't want to do. <laughs> don't do that. Appreciate you guys joining us for Motor Mouse. We'll be back here Monday to talk everything Sonoma. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.